And he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. I am not playing mind games, I am talking about facts. If I speak, I am in, in big trouble. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Hello and welcome to the Talking Absolute Ball podcast, where I am Nick McNeer and joined by the ever-venerable, the omnipresent, Alex Miller. Alex, how are you today? I'm venerable, apparently. That's huge for me. I've been working at this for a while, you know. Well, you know, given the uh, the absence of our, our dear producer Cameron, who is away uh, releasing his autobiography this week, um, we, I, I, I've been asked thought he Cameron... was causing riots in Cuba. <laughs> no, not quite. Although, um, although I, I am covering for him this week as host, um, and um, we've got quite a lot to get into, Alex. We've got... The end of the Euros, where England tragically let us all down, and the nation, but the fans maybe didn't. Um, we've also got the news and various transfer bits to go through, and our team's ordered tournament. Join us after this. Alex, the final score of England versus Italy at Wembley Stadium was England 1, Italy 1, but there is the crucial P after Italy's name. Alex, what was your immediate reaction after Italy 1 on penalties? Um... Yeah, I, I feel like it's a slow burn, but in all the wrong ways. After it had happened, I was kind of like, okay, wasn't a disgraceful performance. I'm gutted, but I can live with that. And then as the days go by, I realise how much it was there for the taking and how certain vital but terribly wrong tactical decisions were made at certain times that essentially meant England took the game away from itself so I'm in a weird place Nick where I was feeling better on Monday than I am here on the Wednesday after as we record it's a bit like a, a horror film that's um, gone on for for three four days now really where you know you think okay that wasn't so bad after the start and it's just progressively gotten worse as you thought about it over time it was it was an interesting setup from Gareth Southgate on uh, Sunday night, um, with uh, Bukayo Saka dra- dropping out and Mason Mount going on the right wing and Kieran Trippier coming in. Um, initially, it all seemed to go off perfectly to plan as um, a lovely cross by Kieran Trippier to Luke Shaw, who slammed it off the post against um, slammed it well in off the post past Gianluigi Donnarumma. Alex, where did it go wrong after that? Yeah, I think you've nailed it there, that actually the structure of the team wasn't what caused the problems. And if anything, Southgate was immediately vindicated. You had one wing back Mm. assisting the other one for a goal. Two minutes in, it doesn't get better than that from a managerial point of view. Where it went wrong was the standard England response to scoring a goal of immediately adopting a defensive Mm. shell, which is fine, you know, for the last fifth for the second half of extra time against a ten man Ukraine team. It is not fine when you've got eighty seven minutes left to play against world class opposition. Mm. I concede that okay, they, they didn't immediately 
drop back into a fully defensive shell and that was that. But they did also reduce the tempo and drop back slightly in the first half. And then obviously in the second half, they became very committed to just everyone behind the halfway line, let's see this out. You can't do that for 45 no. minutes against that Italy side. No. Um, even if you do play an accomplished defensive game, which to be fair, I think England did. I don't think England disgraced themselves defensively. Benucci's goal, if anything, was scrappy, lucky effort. But you invite that kind of bad luck against you if you forfeit control of the ball for 70 minutes of a match. It was entirely avoidable. I think something I've said throughout this tournament is I've always I've always been a bit critical of Gareth Southgate. Um, and the immediate reaction from the media was that this is a repeat of the Croatia game um, in the World Cup three years ago. And while I think that's slightly harsh, I mean, there are obviously similarities of fullback scoring a goal, taking an early lead, etc. I think... Well, and and just to cut across you, my favourite similarity here, Italy equalised in the 67th minute of Sunday's game, Croatia equalised in the 68th minute of their match mm. against England. Obviously, that's one of those fluky yeah, yeah, coincidences yeah. I mean... that doesn't... Isn't actually a, isn't actually tactical analysis of the game, but it it does not help Southgate avoid those. Well, that's what they're yeah. here for, but it doesn't help Southgate try and swerve that criticism that it was a repeat of that Croatia mm. tie. I I think the issue was is that it seemed the midfield of uh, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice quickly lost control in that second half. Um, even even towards the end of the first half, where Italy seemed to have no real idea on how to defend these wingbacks, which Gareth had seemingly gotten right and actually fought initially in the opening twenty minutes. Like my God, he's he, he's gone and done it. He's somehow outwitted another manager rather than having to rely well, on the likewise. strength of his players. So yeah, I completely hmm. agree. I'm I'm just a little concerned that we that the real Gareth Southgate camp came out. Not the one who has relied on basically better players, you know, in such a way. But and there just wasn't enough reaction tactically, unfortunately. Yeah, I I'll come on to the tactical reaction in a moment. Mm. Just to go back to your first point about it, your main point, I should say, about it being the old Southgate, so to speak. Um, I'm torn on this one. Like I came into the tournament not being a fan of his, but I said to Cam on the last edition of this great show that actually my opinions changed quite a bit and I do back him to make the right decisions now. And I think he did at first, as you say. The Italy looked completely caught out by the wing-backs. Then there was the, as I say, bizarre tactical adjustment to stop them pushing forward as far, which let Italy back into the game. Mm. I still on balance back Southgate because at the end of the day he's got two tournaments in a row now with more success than other England managers have had in a long time but admittedly part of that is I look at the market for other potential England managers and I can't see any that would offer an eight, a particularly able replacement so there's sort of two things going on there on merit he deserves to lead England into the next World Cup and there's not a huge amount of other options anyway. So I still back Southgate. But yeah, of course, my faith has been understandably shaken. And that is because of the lack of tactical adjustment. Um, Italy wrestled control of that game through the second half and didn't look back. And that trend was apparent five minutes into the second half, not 20 minutes in. And yet 
even against an ageing, relatively slow Italian defence, we didn't see significant substitutions being made until well into extra Mm. time. I think Grealish came on, was it like 10 minutes into extra time? Maybe slightly less, to be fair. And then you've got your pacey attackers like Sancho and Rashford being brought on only for penalties, when really they could have been stretching that defence out for a good 40, 50 minutes before that. Um, And also, like, you're not getting... I mean, we'll get, we'll come on to the penalties now. I think it's probably appropriate. Um, the last three penalty takers, like, there's obviously been a lot of discussion in recent days about them. I don't really have as much fault with them. The only fault I have is that number one, I think Sancho and Rashford should have been brought on earlier, not just to stretch out the Italians, but also you get a few, you know, a f- few more steps, you know, a few bit more adrenaline, like rushing through through you. I mean. Obviously, that's not a, you know, maybe that you know they felt comfortable taking a cold a cold penalty or whatever, but it didn't. It it kind of stung a little bit of desperation and and it it's just frustrating really, especially given how admirably Jordan Pickford actually played in that penalty shootout. Yeah, he played really well, and which is actually a point I'll make when we do teams mm. of the year. So I'll shelve that one for the moment. I, I completely agree. I don't know why you can't make those penalty-minded changes far earlier than when they were actually made. Mm. Um, I also agree with you that, obviously, there's been a huge amount of criticism of, you know, how could you let these people take penalties? Clearly, they're too inexperienced. I don't really share that no. because it's a bit of a thankless task choosing penalty takers. Southgate's going around the group and we've all seen videos of it at this point. You know, Rashford's confident, Saka is confident. And at the end of the day, I think you do have to trust your more confident players in that situation. It's easy to say, oh, well, if Grealish was offering to take one, Grealish should have gone fifth instead of Saka. But at the end of the day, once you get past Kane, there isn't a lot of penalty takers in that squad. So I think Southgate is justified in going with who he thinks, or who he thought, sorry, looked the most confident on the mm. evening. So that bothers me less in truth. It is the bringing Rashford and Sancho on for penalties only when they could have been wreaking havoc, not just in the second half of extra time, but towards the end of normal mm. time. There was no effort really to wrestle control back of the game until Italy scored. And only then it was piecemeal and there weren't any real substitutions made Um yeah, that that's what baffles me, and that's what sticks in the teeth a little bit. I think, yeah, um, it's just it does, as you said, leave a bit of a you know a stick in the teeth. But we, I mean, coming on to Italy now, I mean, looking at it from their perspective, like we can't all one hundred percent be on the side of England in in where we basically are. Who was was there anyone else better on that pitch um, than Federico Chiesa? You'd struggle to argue, wouldn't you? I mean, um, Jorginho as well was also pretty immense in winning back mm. control of the midfield. And once Italy got that back, they never let it go. Mm. Um, some of that arguably... Again, I'm going to do the opposite of what we're meant to do here and just pivot for a moment back to England. You could say Italy were allowed to do that because of England's inexperience, but I'm not sure that's no. too fair. I think Phillips played really well while he had that licence to press forward and win the ball at midfield. His influence dropped off somewhat inevitably once England gave up the press and adopted a low block instead, which I don't think suits him as a player. But that's not to take away from Italy, who saw what was happening with that low block and completely used it to advantage. 
Chiesa was always an absolute menace. Um, I think somewhat mitigated by Walker, who I think had another good mm. game. But between England abandoning the midfield, Italy knowing how to use that, and Chiesa's attacking threat, I think Italy were unfortunate to not win that in normal time. In fact, they probably shouldn't have let it get to extra time in the first place. Mm. They, they were so on top in that second half. I was, um, was going to say also, I thought Mar- uh, Marco Verratti... Um had a superb game in the centre mid. And obviously, Leo Bonucci got on, got on the uh, score sheet uh, at about the 67th minute. So, uh, again, another very good tournament by him. Alex, looking forward to uh, the World Cup next year. Going back to England, where are you on the confidence level in terms of is it coming home or is this just a big, big setback? Well, I'm one of those cynical England fans that likes to have a joke about it's coming home but never really believes we can Mm. do it Um, that being said I actually think England will be in a stronger position player wise in another year and a half when the um, I mean it's a big if that relies on the younger players continuing to have the game time they're getting in the Premier League and whatnot at the moment which may not come to fruition but at the moment I'm, I'm quite confident about the World Cup not in terms of winning it because at the end of the day out of all the teams in the world there can only be one of those and come the tournament I don't know if England will be the best team to do that but I, I'm confident they can put in another really good showing you know quarterfinal semi-final maybe another final and once you get up that stage in a tournament it becomes you know, I mean you know what it's like it becomes a bit more game at a time and who knows so I'm confident that in a year and a half England will be able to scrape their way at least into a quarterfinal and then once they're in there I think they're as good on the money as anyone to have a chance of winning it so while I don't think necessarily we will win it I think we'll go into the tournament thinking we can be competitive here and have a shout all right that's a pretty comprehensive uh, vote of uh, positivity in England there Uh, we're going to take a uh, you've got to try (laughs) we're going to take a quick break uh, now and then we'll come back and discuss in somewhat controversial fashion the European team of the tournament. Join us after this. The hills are alive with the sound of... To give Chelsea a place in the Champions League final. The headline has been and welcome back. Uh, I'm joined by the ever-venerable Alex Miller. Alex, it is time. We've been sent the teams of the tournament by, well, UEFA and producer Cam, as he is now affectionately known. Uh, would you like me to read out the official UEFA team of the tournament, or would you like to list yours first? Well, let's go with the UEFA one for a bit of context, because mm-hmm. I think it's a solid effort, and I don't have that much to change from yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised when uh, UEFA released this. I thought this would be yeah, a disaster. These are usually really, yeah, these are usually really dodgy, but I remember looking at the UEFA team, say I remember it was yesterday, I, I saw it thinking, that, you know, that's all right, that. So yeah, go Cristiano with that Cristiano Ronaldo first. is not on here, um, which is, I think... That's my only criteria, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a small side note, it, it's a... Sp- Disgrace he got the golden boot. Um, I, I love yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo, but how many penalties was it? Like two? Oh, I can't three, remember off the top and, of my head, but it's over half of his goal yeah, tally, isn't and, it? And uh, Patrick Schick was yeah. robbed. 
<sighs> oh, anyway. Well, we'll get on to that, Yeah, Nick. we will. We'll get we on will. to Patrick anyway, Schick. You trust the me. team of the tournament. In goal, Gianluigi Donnarumma. The defence of Carl Walker, Leonardo Bonucci, Harry Maguire, and uh, Riccardo Spinazzola. I think it's Riccardo. Um, the midfield of Pierre-Emile Hjoiberg, Jorginho, Pedri of Spain, and then an up front, Federico Chiesa, Romelu Lukaku, and Raheem Sterling. My first thought on this, actually, was I can't really argue with that front line, to be honest. Um, I know Belgium, I mean, maybe with Lukaku you could change that, but... Lukaku is my only question mark, and it's not an outright no, no, it's just a question mark. I think he, like Belgium faded a little bit after the group stage mm. i know they beat portugal in the round of 16 but they never quite looked as comfortable as they did in the group once that had ended so i think i hold that slightly against lukaku but you know it was a very impressive tournament and when belgium were in it he was definitely is this where you would have uh, patrick schick um instead of lukaku it is exactly it is exactly where i would have patrick schick instead of lukaku and instead of cristiano ronaldo i know i annoyed um Cam by revealing to him that this is not quite the uh, the hipster choice that I think he thought it was because I think it's unde- undeniable that Schick had a really good tournament um, mm. he was the Czech Republic's talisman in the group stage and obviously played a huge role in that comeback against the Netherlands he went about as far with that team as he could and I don't think the Czech Republic gets as far without him which to me is a big factor when you're choosing a team of the tournament. and he scored the goal of the tournament so, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's worthy. Not just because it's one hundred percent the reason why it should be in the team, especially because it's against Scotland. Um, moving on to the midfield, we're going back here. Um, Jorginho, Hoiberg, and Pedri. I, I look. I do. You know, I I never heard of Pedri before this. I can't profess um, to have known who he was, but I don't. I, I don't know if he deserved a place in the team of the tournament. Oh, really? No, I just... Mm, Spain... Oh, I don't know. I think you... I'm, mm. To me, to me, Pedri is one of the... Maybe because there was a bit of a breakout feeling about him and because I think he was a young player of the tournament, that's why, wasn't he? But to me, I think he's one of the ones that are hardest to argue against. In the mm-hmm. games where Spain dominated, I'm thinking about um, the quarterfinal especially... I think he was absolutely instrumental to that. The only time Spain have looked less of just a toothless meme where they just pass it around for 80 minutes and nothing oh, really Alvaro happens. Alvaro Morata misses. And, the, and Alvaro Morata misses. The, the few times they've gone beyond that and looked a bit more like the old Spain where they will pass it around for ages but you feel there could be something at the end of that is when Pedri's been threading it through the defence yeah. and actually creating chances that even Morata can't miss. So I would still have him right. in there. All right, fair enough. Started more games than Liverpool's Thiago Alcantara, um, who I never got quite to say True. had just one of the worst substitute appearances, I think, um, <laughs> in that uh, Spain-Italy semi-final. I think it was like something like a 50 to 60% pass completion for a centre midfielder. Um, sorry, I, maybe I'm I'm digging too much given his uh, Liverpool season, but yeah. Um, no, I think that's fair. I know his Liverpool season wasn't as bad as people may make out, but no, I think that's fair to say it was a pretty awful. Uh, the other two centre mids of uh, Jorginho and Hoiberg. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, Hoiberg was very good, wasn't he? 
He was. He was excellent. Um, I don't know. He was excellent, but I, I don't know if he quite makes team of the tournament. But then mm. the next question is, who do you replace him with? Uh, and I've just got a, a few ideas here. I think until France imploded, Pogba was extremely good through most of the well, tournament. I, I, think I was going to suggest another way he gets in there. I was going to suggest um, a midfielder from the team that beat France in um, Cam's beloved Arsenal's uh, Granite Xhaka, um, but. I, I don't know if I, I it, it's you know it's it's hard for me to say one was better than the other I think where they were on an equal you know playing left playing um field yeah I I think when you're talking between Hoiberg and, and I think Jack is a really good shout he controlled the midfield in most games he was mm. in um Switzerland built most of their attacking moves off his presence as well so I think that's a really good shout we're talking into real 50 50 territory here which yeah it's like we said, there's not a lot to argue about with this team. I'm mainly throwing names out there as a potential alternative rather than a certain replacement. I also want to, again, shine some praise on Calvin Phillips, who I think mm. when he was allowed to press, when England, in the games where England were level and they were more on the front foot trying to get the ball, I think he distinguished himself as a really good player and had a bit of a breakout tournament in some respects. When England were on the front foot, he was on the front foot and he would win the ball in midfield, he would progress it forward. I think ultimately he misses out on the team of the tournament, not because of his performances per se, but because in half of any given game, England's revert to low block would strip him of the chance to show why he was impressing. So I wouldn't have him in there either, but... In different circumstances, I think he easily could have made it. It seems so long ago that he assisted Raheem Sterling's first goal in the tournament. Um, and then finally, Jorginho. I, th- I think that's pretty clear-cut. Um, to me, I've, I think Can't argue that's that one. as good of a... He's had a superb season, um, which has been, frankly, pretty astonishing, given uh, how his Chelsea career went to prior in the prior two seasons. Uh, the defence. Yeah, and I mean... Just on Jorginho, mm-hmm. the, the champions are always going to be healthily represented in any team in the tournament, and rightly so. So already those players are harder to argue against. But yeah, just a faultless tournament um, and was a bit of a talisman for Italy as well. So that one can't be argued, really. Uh, the defence, we had uh, Carl Walker, Leo Benucci, Harry Maguire and Riccardo Spinazzola. Uh, Spinozola was great. Um, just really unfortunate about his injury. Um, to be honest, I, I don't really have too many complaints. I, I think I would rather have Luke Shaw if um, than Carl Walker as England's fullback, but Spinozola was very good. But to me, again, that's falling into the Hoiberg, um, Granite Xhaka argument. You know, I'd be fine with either. Yeah, exactly. This is real coin toss territory. I mean, on the notes I've jotted down, I've got Shaw instead of Spinozola, but I think mm. that's only because of Spinozola's injury and Shaw goes all the way in the tournament. Mm. Um both were absolutely excellent. Both drove forward on the wings for their teams. Spinazzola probably with a bit more, um, a bit more threat and a bit more style. So if he plays the whole way, I probably agree and have him above Shaw. But I, I went with Shaw just because I think on the balance of that injury and Shaw putting in another really good performance in the final, even though he lost. You mentioned Kyle Walker. Um, really good tournament. I don't have him in my own personal team of the tournament, for the only reason in that I've gone four at the back on this one, and I think Walker was more impressive 
playing as a centre back this yeah. tournament than he was a full back because yeah. of his sweeping ability. I mean, you saw it against um, Werner in Germany in the round of 16, and I think he did a pretty good job in the final. Obviously, Chiesa had a really good game, but I think Walker stopped it being a um, a massacre with his ability to track back and cover breaks. So he would make it were I doing a five at the back system, but because I'm not, and because I think he was more uh, impressive at centre-back, I've not got him in mind, just because I think there were a couple of slightly more impressive centre-backs in the tournament. Uh, Leo Bonucci and Harry Maguire, for me, that's, again, I'm pretty okay with that. Um, A a pretty remarkable tournament for Harry Maguire, considering how long he was out for uh, with injury. And Leo Bonucci was superb. Had... Harry Maguire was impressive, wasn't mm. he, really? As you say, he comes out with next to no game fitness and made an immediate impact on England's defence and was an absolute rock in the knockout stages. Benucci, again, really impressive tournament. I probably have Chiellini slightly ahead of mm. him, but again, this is real 50-50 territory. I have Chiellini slightly ahead because I think the the leadership role puts him in that. Um, when he's not doing a horse collar to... tackle on Bukayo Saka, which <laughs> when he's not doing, but but he, if you're being really cynical for a moment, even that was uh, we don't want to encourage this, but even that was good play in the way that it was like the 92nd minute Saka's got clear grass beyond mm. it and he can just get away with getting a yellow mm. here. But no, I really I I think Kylian defended just as well as Benucci. I think he shaves it because he had a slightly bigger leadership role in the team and did the. Um, more psychological things you want a leader to do. I'm obviously thinking here of um, before the penalty shootout with Spain, um, give, doing his Atlantics and the yeah. coin toss there. So I, I would just shave Chiellini slightly ahead of Benucci. Surprising he didn't do that against England, but then again, maybe already prepared for it. Mm. And I think Harry Kane is yeah, not no exactly point. the guy to be phased out by uh, by all this. No. There's a diminishing returns thing there, yeah. isn't there? Kane was probably expecting something like it. Chiellini was probably quite confident just to not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally in goal, they had uh, Gigi Donnarumma. Um, look, if you win two penalty shootouts, um, I, I I think, and you've saved however many, I think his, his save rate going into the game uh, against England at penalties was 34%, which is just absurd. Um it's probably it's definitely gone up after this. Um, so f- between thirty five and forty percent, clear winner for me. Um, Jordan Pickford had a superb tournament. If you think about it, only a, a goal from a quite a good free kick, and uh, well, the Italian goal he couldn't have saved um, is a second. But for me, there's no other choice than Donnarumma. I agree. Um... I mean, as you've just ably demonstrated, Donnarumma's stats and his contribution to the tournament speak for itself. Um, Pickford's a little bit unlucky. I think any other tournament, yeah. he wins the um, the keeper the keeper spot. Uh, it stopped a mammoth effort from Donnarumma to deny him that. Worth noting in the penalty shootout in the final, they both played really well and saved the same amount of penalties. But um, I agree. Donnarumma on the balance of winning another shootout on top of that and having a exceptional save percentage I, I think has to be the number one with Pickford a very close second mm. well uh, Donnarumma saved more um, than Pickford but yes. um... yeah. <laughs> sorry yes I'm forgetting the um, 
Well, no, because uh, I. Rashford hit oh, the post. Yeah, that's I'm being very Sorry. technical yeah, here. Yeah, no, no, I'm being right. very technical. Right. They both technically they both saved two penalties, but I do concede yeah, England missed you three. Are right. Sorry. Um, so that was the UEFA's team. Um, would you like to read out your team for the uh, for the listeners? Yeah. Well, I mean, for that discussion there, there's only one that I haven't really picked that we haven't really gone through there. So I've gone for goalkeeper Donnarumma, uh, left back Shaw, centre backs with Maguire and Chiellini. Left back, I've gone with Mel from Denmark. Um, it was between him and Sufafen from the Czechs for me there. I think Mel offered slightly more going forward and chipped in a couple of goals. So because of that, I would go with him there. Um, midfield, as we talked about, I've gone Pedri, Jorginho. I've I've pencilled in Pogba, but now, to be honest, thanks to our little discussion there, I'd probably change that to Verratti. Mm-hmm. Um and then going forward, I've got Sterling, Schick and Chiesa, who um, I don't think that front three is arguable, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, producer Cam um, actually did not send in his team of the year, but he did note that he only had two changes uh, from the uh, official UA for uh, team of the tournament, one of which I'm going to assume was probably Patrick Schick. Um, yeah, one of which we know was mm-hmm. Schick. Do, you, do we know the other one? No, is he going to leave I that up that, to I think mystery? That be, um, that's a mystery lost for time. Sadly, that's we'll never know. There'll be an Indiana Jones film made about it in a hundred and fifty years. Stuck in Atlantis. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> join us after we've uh, gone into the depths of the ocean to find out who Cam's mysterious uh, player was. Uh, join us after this, where we go into our beloved news. Ladies and gentlemen. You can't bring an object onto the field and start rubbing on the cricket ball, and you've got all the cameras on you. I mean, it's an embarrassment. It really is an embarrassment. And we're back with the news, Alex. Um, we're back. We're, we're done with all this Euros crap. It's over. International football. Get it out of here for another three or four years. God, you're such a killjoy. <laughs> For another year and a oh, half, yeah. that must be it's going to be in December. There's, there's less That's time it. than ever. Um, we're going to yeah. be more well. Merry Christmas. We're going to be more burnt out on it, and the players are going to be more than burnt out than when we are. But uh, come on, let's let's get back into the main, uh, you know, role of things. The Premier League's only a month away, less than thirty days. I saw. Um, let's open up with um, some Spurs news, Alex. Um, we, you know, we 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 seem to. This club just seems to love making headlines nowadays, and it, it's almost slightly comical in how we have to keep discussing them every week. I think we're going to have to install a podcast rule at some point about how we can't talk about Spurs for at least one podcast every four. But we have got some transfer news about them, um, not exclusive, of course. Um, the Telegraph reporting that uh, Danny Ings is a target of uh, Fabio Paratici. Um they ha- Jules Kunde of Sevilla had turned them down of an offer of thirty million plus Davinson Sanchez, and that they are close to signing Takahiro Tomiyasu, a centre back slash fullback from uh, Bologna. Alex, we'll get into Danny Ings first because I think that's what you know quite an easy one for us to get into. The Telegraph says that they want to try and play uh, a two up top next to Harry Kane. Um, is this going to work? Uh, yeah, I'm. I mean, you're right in what we say. We are becoming a quasi Spurs podcast. We'll put a we'll put a pound in the Spurs jar every time we bring them yeah, up. Yeah, please. But um, 
Yeah, do I think Kane would work in a two? I don't know. I've not seen it. I think in some ways the option is there. He likes to drop a bit deeper and thread a ball through, which would work really well with another striker. But he already does that with mm. Son. So I don't know if you need to bring in Ings to make that work. The big question I think Spurs need to... I'm sure they are addressing this, because obviously it would take an idiot not to. But if you're unable to hold on to Kane, mm. how do you replace that? I really like... Danny Ings. I think he's class. I think he'll score goals if he can stay fit. So in some ways, I like that signing. I don't think he can hold down the Kane spot or the Kane influence on the team for a whole season, Mm. though. So if you're bringing in Danny Ings, you're going to need to bring in somebody else as well, either to play in a two with Danny Ings or to act as somebody to come into games to lessen the amount of um, the amount of running that Danny Ings needs to do over a season. I think Southampton have got about, what, one properly full season out of him? And he got like 22 goals in that season, so it he could is, work. I believe he's not also going to do uh, out of contract at the end of the year, um, which, or at least in two years' time. I'm fairly sure it's um, at the end of next year, um, next season rather. Um, which makes yeah. sense because Southampton have been trying without success to get him to sign a new one, haven't they? I think this. So he's he's clearly thinking of it. I think this deal makes sense um, in one way, um, in particular, and that's if you want to rest Harry Kane for the next two to three months, given the workload that's kind of been put on him, um, both internationally and for his club. Um, but is that worth? More than twenty million pounds. I'm I'm not so sure. Well, this is, um, to be quite this honest, this is it, isn't it? Just, I, I think you could really sum up my entire rambly point there with, look, I think he's a really good striker, but he's not going to lead you for a no. season. Um, so, look, if, if I don't know if Harry Kane will work in a two. They kind of do that with Son anyway. Um, I don't know if Son ever actually signed the deal. They've always said it's close, but that it's not ha- hasn't really been signed It's kind of yet. flying under the radar, mm. isn't it, with the Kane news? But you feel if... You'd feel like Kane leaving would have a seriously negative effect on your chances of keeping. I don't song. think Harry Kane's going to leave just because, one, I think there's already so many miles on that body that I just don't think you're going to get the same player that he was three, four years ago when he was a comfortable thirty goal a season scorer. Um, and I think he, you know, you really need to like at least rest him for eight to ten games next year. Um, we'll, or start on the bench. So I think that's where Ings would make sense. Um, but also, I think the pr- price point for Kane is too ridiculous. Um, we can talk about... I Sorry, think... go on. Oh, no, I was just going to kind of add on to that just to say, I think if you're a Spurs fan, if you can keep Kane and also sign Danny Ings for a not ridiculous fee, I think that's a really good move because there's nobody going to... There's nobody, I think, better place to act mm-hmm. as a... Um, a foil for Kane when he does pick up his inevitable hamstring in two months off that he seems to get every single season. Mm-hmm. I think Danny Ings would be perfect for that role. I don't know if Danny Ings would be willing to play that role, mm. but I think if you're a Spurs fan, you look at keeping Kane and signing Ings as a really good, um, mm-hmm. not a really good, no, but a, a solid transfer season where at least your attacking line is concerned. And I'm sure we'll come to the defensive line in a moment with Kunde and whatnot. Yes. But, I'd be satisfied with that. So there are reports today. Um, Charlie Eccleshare, I believe his name is, of The Athletic, who's a sport Spurs reporter for them, saying that um, 
They have agreed a deal, or that a deal is close, for Takahiro Tomiyasu of Bologna. Um, I did have a little bit of a look, because um, I know you can't profess to uh, know too much about the player. Um, it almost seems as if um, he's very much in the mould of the Carl Walker-style centre-back, um, where he can play both as a full-back and a centre-back as well, um, in a defensive formation. Um so I'm I'm not going to quiz you too much on the player, um, but Fabio Peratici has said he wants to play a free at the back, and Nuno has played a free at the back. Is this going to be, you know, the start where they, well, move to a free at the back? But is it going to be a free four three or a free five two? Because I don't really see how they can kind of accommodate Kane and Son in a three five two. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I also am struggling, to, if you're Spurs, who's going to be a particularly good wing-back option for you? Kieran Trippier? Oh, wait. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but, Danny yeah, Rose? This is, oh, this wait. Is it. Oh, he's gone. Mm. Uh, I mean, I find it kind of strange how much influence Peratici has on that team's system going into next season. It seemed to be at one point like they were turfing out managerial candidates because they didn't want to play a certain way and that seems a very strange hiring perspective from me but hey that's not the question you asked I think if they do go free at the back it will be inevitably a slightly more defensive one than one with two committed wing backs um, I I know nothing about this player I'll mm. own up and I'll fess up to that you've done the research there if he can offer a bit of pace um, perhaps a little bit of progression ability with moving the ball forward it's easily I think it's a fine move it's probably not going to cost the earth and you can slot him in towards the um, one of the sides of your defence that's mm. fine I don't think you get particularly excited though if you're a Spurs fan no. I think you're more crushed over another rejection in a whole summer of rejections with this Kunde news at yeah. the moment I've, I do kind of I'm a little bit confused by that offer, where they're also offering Davidson Sanchez, who I always, who I kind of felt has been a somewhat integral part of the defence, because now Toby Alderweireld has obviously requested a move away. Um, that was, I think was last from news from last week. Um, so if they're going to play three at the back, um, I mean, who are their centre backs? Tanganga, Joe Rodon. Um, I like Joe Rodon, um, <laughs> but. Tanganga though I don't know if, I don't not, know if Tanganga's going to start not here on know. that no yeah. so uh, Spurs have a lot of work to do if they want to play a 3-5-2 um, yeah they do they need they need more centre backs than they need wing backs they need a defensive overhaul mm-hmm. and they may have to do it in the summer that they may have to replace Kane it's not good no. Nick but at least uh, Matt Doherty's re- reunited with the manager who got him playing well um, <laughs> uh, Alex Rui Patricio has been sold by Wolves to uh, Rome um, they're bringing in Jose Sar from Olympiacos um, as his replacement. Uh, I'd like you to... Um, there's a common denominator here with uh, Olympiacos, Roma, and <laughs> Wolves. Um, what what name do you think is uh, the common uh, denominator there? Because <laughs> this just I, amuses I wanna, me so much. I don't want to say the name. I don't want to say the name because I think he's come up twice in the podcast already and yep. I'm a bit worried if you say it three times he'll appear in the mirror. But um, look, I don't know. Am I? I'm worried about wolves. Do you think I'm right to be worried about? I think wolves? you're right to be worried about Patricio's wolves. A, I, I don't like who Patricio's they hired a good as keeper. manager. 
Bruno Lahi. I mean, I know. When, when, you know, I know that, it, that when Benfica fans are openly calling for your resignation, I don't think that's a good thing. You know, a good choice to hire as a manager. But look, I mean, well, this is it. They're coming off a really mediocre season. They're losing not a great goalkeeper, but a pretty solid one, pretty dependable one. And they're replacing him with Jose Sarr, who I don't know too much about, but I do know he didn't make it at um, Porto mm-hmm. and got shopped out to Olympiacos. Um, where, okay, he's played, but are you fancying him to come in and be a ready-made replacement for Patricio? Probably not. Their transfer season, the, the transfer strategy is completely uninspired, as you say, revolving around the name of a certain agent. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty worried about Wolves. Maybe, I'm not saying they'll go down, but I think it could be a really scrappy season for them. It feels, the manager it feels like their big confidence. hope is around Trincao and Adama Traore on the wings and getting something from them. I mean, Trincao's numbers look brilliant. <laughs> but that, that that's at Braga, um, which, you know, I, I, I mean... With the Portuguese league, it's not exactly like moving from the Eredivisie Era to the Premier League, where you feel a little bit worried. But I'm, I'm not sure. That's I, maybe they've upgraded I think manager. Trincao will but, probably. But I'm, I'm yeah. just, I'm just not sure. I, I don't like the hire. Think... Um, but I think this is, this is just. Yeah, it, it doesn't. As you said, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in them. Um, Alex, what doesn't inspire confidence yeah. as well is uh, Marcus Rashford um, being injured until the start of October. Um, going for a shoulder surgery, I believe, um, for, with an estimated eight to twelve month, uh, eight to twelve month, eight to twelve week recovery period. Um, is the Jaden Sancho deal going to be suddenly really good? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be an element of it, isn't it? I think Jaden Sancho is a really good player, so whatever they come across the line at, mm. and it's looking about 73 million, yeah. isn't it? But whatever's, whatever it's coming across the line at, he's probably going to play well, and Man United fans probably aren't going to care in a few months' time. Uh, yeah, OK, obviously there's an element to it looking even more reasonable now that Rashford's going to be out injured until October, maybe even November. I've seen some doubt about that. Um but I no, I don't think it changes the fundamentals of the Sancho deal. It was always going to be fine. Yeah. It's a bit like, to a lesser extent, it's a bit like when Liverpool bought Van Dijk. And, okay, yeah, it was an eye-raising sum, but it was a position that needed filling, and it's a ready-made player to do mm-hmm. it. And it's the same with Sancho and United. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably on the opposite side of the debate. Um, for I went uh, through that with uh, Cam last week. Um, Alex, um, we've got some additional news here with um, Olivier Giroud uh, moving as the youthful uh, backup striker to AC Milan um, to back up their elder statesman of uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I didn't realise this, um, Alex, but it's Giroud. It just feels like he's been like a complete mainstay, and I feel like I'm going to miss him when he when this move does get confirmed. Um, he's quite a popular figure in the Premier League. Yeah, he's had one of those careers where you come out thinking oh, this guy might have been a lot better than I thought he was um, well the highlight reel is going to do... be amazing it's it's going to be one of the greatest yes. highlight reels of all time I was actually at that game where he scored the scorpion kick against Crystal Palace and I couldn't believe 
what I'd seen. Um, so, <laughs> good for him. Yeah, it's become a bit of a... I hesitate to call him a cult hero, because if anything, he's more popular than that. But I know what you mean. He will be a loss to the Premier League. He'll be fine at AC Milan, won't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean... He'll be fine. It's a slower tempo league. Backing up Ibrahimovic, I think he'll do well there. I don't think there's much news in that transfer, to be honest. Nope. Um, I hope he does really well there, and rooting for uh, for him. Um, on other Arsenal news, um, William Saliba... Um, you're not going to believe this, Alex. He's gone out on loan again to Marseille. No. <laughs> <laughs> You don't say. What's the point at this point, Nick? I know you're hosting, but I'll throw the question back at you. What's the point? There is no point. Um, I do remember when they signed um, him from Saint Etienne, I believe, and there was a lot of clamour about Saliba. And I, I even remember Arteta, I believe, was actually asked in the press conference that he wanted to work with Saliba at Arsenal, but. You know, this is going to be the second season now where a manager has looked at the, the same manager has looked at the player and gone, nah. Um, I, I, maybe they've uh, just kind of looked at this, you know, the situation and saw that no club really wants to buy him, in, at least in Europe. And I think once Marseille had eyes for Saliba, you know, the player says, I'm only, seems to only want to move to Marseille. So good for him. But I just, it, it doesn't this whole transfer just, reek of what is wrong with how Arsenal operate in the market where you spend north of 20 million I want to say that's probably a low estimate on Saliba and he doesn't play a single a single professional game like it is it's just terrible I, 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 there's no other words to how poorly that club is run in the transfer market um, there's no other words yeah, I'm going to struggle to add another word, in fact. <laughs> it's you, You've got to be pretty depressed at this news if you're an Arsenal fan. Not necessarily that you're still hoping that Saliba's going to be this breakout star, but as you say, because it sums up the, um, the state of the club at the moment, a lot of money for a player that age has put out on it, and there was a lot of hope in that. But after going out on loan twice now, you, you can't really see it way back from that can you they clearly don't think there's a player there mm. but they can't shift him permanently either or even worse they're still caught in some spell of indecision i i about which is what i think it is which is what i think it is really yeah um i i, I it, it just amused me so much when they brought him back um from his uh, loan at satin had a look and then went actually no we need another center back and then proceeded to spend what it, what what was it fifty million on Gabriel from um, Lille, yeah. um, who look he's looked like you know a, a capable Premier League player. Yeah, but a, could Saliba have done there, could but... Saliba have done any worse? Um, I, I guess we don't know. We haven't watched the player extensively. Um, you know, defensive numbers are hard to really judge. It's I've, I've, there are big problems at Arsenal Football Club. I mean, there are big problems at the two North London clubs. To be quite honest. Um, and I, I just don't really see how they've kind of fixed this unless a change of owner is coming or they decide to again completely overhaul the structure of how that club operates, really. Um, I just don't know where they go from here. It seems to be a club allergic to making big decisions. Mm-hmm. And the Saliba one is just becoming the um, the emblem of that and drawing all the attention to that problem. I think like um, we, don't have, um, we don't have Cam here to give the, uh, the bullish take on Arsenal. Um, 
for us, but I think the issue again with Arsenal is, I mean, we come. You've you've mentioned big decisions. The big decisions that they have taken with extended Aubameyang, extend, extending Lacazette, all of these decisions just feel like that they could have easily been avoided. Like any kind of like outside consultation instead of being gripped in fear by the fact that they're going to lose a player for nothing. Um, which they didn't. I mean, like when, when they came with the Alexis Sanchez, they actually made the right decision to sell. They just got absolutely nothing from it. Well, they got a few goals from... Henrik Mkhitaryan, who has since, I believe, left on a freeze aroma. Um, it's it's a club that's uh, desperately in reform, and to be honest, I don't think any Arsenal fans listening to this would particularly disagree with how they're run. No, even the one we know no. won't. Anyway, um, I don't. I think that kind of wraps us up in terms of news. Uh, unless you'd like me to rant more about uh, Fulham, to be honest, uh, Alex. Um, uh, the, look, the floor is yours if you want to take it. <laughs> I did it. see, though, um, we can go into your club for a little bit and freestyle here almost. Yeah. Um, Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez back in training. Is optimism returning to Merseyside? Very cautious, dampened optimism. They're still not doing the uh, the full training programme, notable sessions, for example. Mm. And there is, like, the club staff are really confident. So and I've got no reason to go against them. I get slightly scared when you look at the uh, pictures of the trading sessions and see some truly horrifically large scars Ooh, all over yeah. their knees from Ooh. the surgeries they've had to go through. I think seeing that you start thinking, okay, uh, let's see how this goes first. But yeah, some cautious optimism. Mm-hmm. I like it. You know, it's fine. Nice to see them back training again. I'm sure we'll come up with some uh, with our one to twenty lists of uh, or our predicted tables for the Premier League in a podcast in the near future, and I'm sure uh, Liverpool will finish uh, probably in the top two. So you have no reason to fear. Three at worst. Well, at worst. Well, I mean, I've I've got every reason to fear. I've seen what a season without them can do. I was very happy to see um, Canate throwing some people around in training. That, that brought a smile to my face. Well, he is the big buy of the summer. There's another the big buy of the summer. Another, another questionable injury record. Well, you know, Help. we'll see how it goes. <laughs> it's been quiet, really, um, alongside the rest of the Premier League. I, I imagine now that the Euros are finished, the uh, action will pick up. We'll be here to, uh, you know, give our uh, steaming hot takes. Uh, Cam will viciously defend his beloved Arsenal from any kind of uh, wrongness that we uh, state. Um, Alex, it's been a pleasure to host this uh, delightful episode. You know, where would you be oh, without likewise. this excellent host thing of mine? The the answer is absolutely I, anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, there may be there may be a coup on the podcast. Who knows? Anyway, thank you for your time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we've appreciated you. Um, and that's uh, that's it, Alex. Any final comments? Uh, I mean, I just hope we get Cameron back from his Cuban agitation trip as soon as possible. <laughs> well, if we're not sued by uh, the Castro family at that rate, anyway. Thanks for uh, listening, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great week. Enjoy. <laughs>